Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Don't mind if you got something nice to say about me. I enjoy an accolade like the rest. And you could take my picture and hang it in. Good morning and welcome to Solutions Live Personal Edition. I'm your host, Chicky Fitzgerald, coming to you from Tampa, Florida. Solutions provides practical advice from authors and experts on a wide range of topics for professionals to help you leave your legacy. Thursday's lineup begins with our new segment, Real Life Heroes, at 10 a.m. At 10.30, we showcase the next generation in our show on Kids with Character. At 11 a.m., Giving and Faith in the Marketplace, and at 11.30 a.m., Intellectual Gumbo, which is a wrap-up of the week with my co-host, Chris Bradshaw. Stick around for that and add some spice into your day. Well, good morning. It is May 14th, and I would like to welcome our listeners this morning. We have a, just a terrific lineup, uh, an amazing show. Uh, our first guest uh, will be Walter T. Shaw. He is the author of a book called License to See and uh, is a famed former uh, jewel thief and uh, has a very, very interesting story. The title of our segment this morning will be Real Life Heroes, and uh, Walter will be here to talk about his father, who is the real hero of the story. And then at 10.30, we are going to be welcoming back Cambridge Christian Schools kids uh, under the uh, leadership of fifth grade teacher Mr. Wilson, and this morning, we are going to be welcoming Layla, Kennedy, Kira, and Josh to the show. And they'll be talking about their experience last week at Enterprise Village. At 11 a.m., we will be welcoming the director of Enterprise Village, Valerie White. And she'll tell us a little bit about what the local school system here and some uh, very, very forward-thinking business uh, people in the Tampa area are intending to do with both Enterprise Village and uh, its counterpart uh, for the older kids, uh, the Financial uh, Center. And I'm not getting that name right, but uh, we'll have Valerie tell us about that. Then at 11.30, I will welcome my co-host, Chris Bradshaw, for Intellectual Gumbo. Let's uh, get our first guest on the air and jump right in. Good morning, Walter. Good morning. How are you? I am doing just great. Where are you (laughs) calling in from today? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, so you are uh, in Florida as well. I'm in, in the Tampa area. Yeah. It's a bit of a cloudy day here. West Coast, West Coast. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we finally got some much-needed rain. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Walter, uh, you, you have a really fascinating story, and uh, it, it actually began back in the, the late 60s uh, when, at a very young age, uh, you became a recognized soldier for a national mafia boss. So um, why don't we just start with a little bit of your background, and then you can tell me what led up to actually writing the book and uh, then telling your father's story. Well, 
the crime stuff started back in the 60s, and it was due to many things in my life, not just uh, me choosing it, but it was the injustice that was done to my dad early, earlier than that when he was a famed inventor and had created so many wonderful things that we use today and take for granted. And um, the patent, we thought, would be a, enough to, to give him protection, and it wasn't when men knew how to circumvent that and go around it and and uh, cheat him and bring the inventions to fruition and, and uh, not pay the inventor his just dues. So that was an impressionable thing on my life at a young age, and that tilted me a little bit, quite a bit, matter of fact. His first invention was the speakerphone, where you could talk hands-free automatically, and the phone would ring and you could answer it. For which we are eternally grateful. Yes, he made that for the handicapped people, the Iron Lung Society, which is the uh, Easter Seal people who had um, polio. And, of course, many big inventions would follow the conference call, call forwarding, touch-tone dialing, and so forth. He had 39 patents to his credit. And I got involved with guys that... uh, I knew my father previously before his great inventions. Uh, he made a thing called the black box where he could make all those calls toll-free for bookmakers. So I had the intro when I was about 16 into that life, and, and I went that way and left him and and uh, got involved and uh, proceeded my career from there and learned uh, from a guy named Pete Sorano who was the leader of the Dennerset gang at that time, and I learned the fine art of burglary, and, and I pursued it for 30 years of my life practically. And uh, it broke his heart, and we separated for 25 years. We we didn't speak. And um, through the latter part of my years, as I regressed from crime, um, I felt his story should be told. The world should know what a great inventor we had among our uh, our midst, and we didn't appreciate him. As most heroes and, and people of his nature don't get recognized until after they're dead. So that's where where I started this uh, journey of writing this book and tell the story of my dad. Now I understand that that after you got out of of uh, your life of crime, you mm-hmm. you started out by doing a a a, a film about mm-hmm. helping people to figure out how not to get robbed. Yes. Uh, because uh, you know the dinner set gang actually uh, or dinner time uh, gang actually robbed people when they were at home and eating dinner, which is how That's it got correct. its name, right? Yeah, we, 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 we robbed them while they were in the house. When the alarms were turned off and they were at ease and felt they were protected inside the environment of their house, and we would go upstairs in the master while they were downstairs eating, and uh, we'd take the jewelry. So that's where the name came from. The FBI named it the Dinner Set Gang, Dinner Time Burgers. Right. So I made a, a videotape in the later 90s of how to protect your house from burglary. Now and, uh, you know I read in your in your uh, background that that actually uh, the state of Florida actually came against you when you wrote that or or when you put out that video. Oh well, yeah, what was they, their beef with it? They they didn't think that I should have the right to profit from my past, and of course uh, we challenged it and we took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was the deciding uh, person in that case, and she ruled against it as a freedom of speech and. Free enterprise and all that good stuff. So she overturned it, and of course they couldn't. They couldn't do anything about it. Wow! And that burglary prevention, yeah, yeah, that DVD was called "It Took a Thief to Stop a Thief," which exactly. which actually is brilliant. You know, when you think about it. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> 
So so let's let's go back to your father. Um, mm-hmm. what what was his background? Was his father innovative? Was his no, father an inventor? They had ironically, it's uh, it's it's a sad story because he also had a rub with his dad, and his dad was an alcoholic and had left home when they came to uh, to Florida from Jersey. He was born in Vineland, Jersey, and they came here. And uh, my dad was. Uh, in the eighth grade at that time, and uh, his father didn't come home one day. He was a uh, sidewalk maker, and from New York to Florida, he used to put make sidewalks. He was a you know Italian, right. from the old school from Ita- from Italy. Him and my my grandmother, right. and they came, came to America, and of course the the, the whole thing. And uh, my dad never saw his dad again. I mean, he was thirteen years old or twelve years old when his father left, and um, my dad just pursued. And had that gift, and he pursued uh, electronics at an early age. At that time, and he was carrying wire. He got his first job at like sixteen or seventeen, carrying wire for Western Union that was down here. Right, and, he and so he, he then later became a systems engineer. So he exactly. never had formal education. No, never had for any formal wow. education. He was just gifted, and he went to work for Bell Labs uh, later on after he was a systems engineer, and he became a systems right. engineer for Bell Labs and. He learned all his stuff at, at uh, going to school at night, and um, at 27 years of age is, is on his own time off as he's working for Bell uh, Laboratories, and uh, he made the uh, speakerphone. <laughs> wow! It's an amazing thing. I mean, he was just a, a really gifted person. They admitted that he was a, just way out there, way, way far beyond his his abilities. I mean, it was amazing. So. Um I, I understand that they stopped him uh, from marketing it by mm-hmm. by actually lobbying for a new law. And well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and tell me. What about had happened that. is, is uh, at that time Bell was a monopoly, and you couldn't hook up to the lines unless you had their permission. You couldn't hook up any innovative inventions, even even the answering machine. If you go back that far, there was a thing called the answering machine where you could leave messages. It's digital now. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> right. You couldn't. Well, I, I'm old enough to remember that. Okay. So they challenged. <laughs> Actually, my dad. I'm old enough to remember when it, when we didn't have those. <laughs> right. So they challenged him, and and uh, he took it all the way in '84. He took it all the way to the courts, and he proved to them that there was a monopoly in America, and of course, the Constitution of 1876, whatever it was, there shall not be a monopoly in America. My dad proved it, and of course. That famous Carter phone decision was invented, and it called uh, you. You couldn't do that. You couldn't uh, stop other people from coming in with great inventions, such as the uh, fax machine and the answering machine and things like that. So AT and T was split, if you remember that. Right. So they, they he fought him, and he, he fought him to practically the day he died, and, and then his inventions were received. But by then the patents had expired, and and they became uh, other people's uh, abilities to do it who had the big dollars. Right. Yeah. And and so as you mentioned, you know, there there was a, a place in time when he was desperate for money mm-hmm. and uh in in that desperation he too got involved with the mafia. And oh, yeah. you, you mentioned that briefly earlier, yeah. but why don't you talk about that black box that, that I will. he uh he used? When he was when he was scaring the streets of New York in Manhattan he came across a, a well-known jeweler who had uh, made jewelry for for the real La Cosa Nostra, the real guys, Gambino and so forth, and Joe Valachi. And he introduced my father to him, and they took a, they took him in, and 
they told them what their needs were. They said, listen, we, we need to make calls that can't be traced because of who we are, the nature of our business. And my dad says, okay, give me a few few weeks and I'll figure it out. And he made the black box where you could make loaners to calls not only toll-free, but they couldn't be traced. And it was a, a real, it was a parasite to the phone lines. And it hooked directly in, tied into the lines. You could receive calls, make calls, and they embraced them. Actually, the, the very first prototype of call forwarding before he patented it was made for bookmakers so that when the uh, when the, the authorities raided a room, they wouldn't get the book member because the call forwarding had been you know, it was active where it would transfer to another number or another location. And that's what call forwarding originally got made for, not only the black box, but the call forwarding was made for that, but became a legitimate device. And uh, that was his, his uh, introduction. Of course, he did a year and a day in the county jail in, in Miami, and it was a six-year process. They prosecuted him, and Bell created this thing where you, you couldn't hook up to Bell lines, so he was put away for uh, a misdemeanor. <laughs> that doesn't even exist anymore, called Unauthorized Attachment to Bell Lines. Oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, when he got out, he, he divorced himself. He never never looked back that way. And at that point, I was 16, and I, I went in that way. I, I saw right. that all his skills were not appreciated. And, you know, here's a guy that, that had so much to give and was cornered and stopped at every angle. Oh, absolutely, and I understand that he actually ended up in front of a Senate subcommittee, which mm -hmm. included Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, Bobby prosecuted my father, yeah, he was one oh. of the prosecutors. McCullin and him, and, and uh, there was a famous trial It was where they divulged that there was such a thing as La Cosa Nostra in America and, and back in 61 and 63, and it was a tough wow. thing, what my dad went through. I'm not painting him as a white knight by any means, I mean... My father had his cracks and his flaws like anybody, but... Well, but, you know, the, the heroes of, of our, our world, you know, going all the way back to recorded history in the Bible, all had some pretty serious cracks and flaws, you know. Oh, you're right. You take a look at King David, you know, he, yeah. he was no saint, but nope. uh, the difference was that, you know, he had he had a heart after God and actually wanted to do the right thing, just, you know, got sucked in sometimes to doing the wrong thing. And that, so uh, it, it does happen. That famous passage, which is one of my favorite passages, uh, after he'd done all his flaws and all his mistakes, God turned him and said he was a man after my own heart. Yep. So, you know, yeah, Moses, all of them, they all, Abraham, they all had their flaws, you're right. Well, and, and so that's really the cool part of the story is that leaving a legacy can actually take stories like involvement in the mafia mm -hmm. and even being in jail and I understand you had some interesting experiences and uh, interesting perhaps is the wrong word but <laughs> that you were in a cell next to Ted Bundy at one yeah. juncture yeah. so what what was that all about how did you end up uh, next to a serial well, killer well what happened is uh, when this happened I had such a big sentence you know life in 52 years and all these crazy numbers when they put me away and I was so in the trenches of uh, the mob activities at that time, uh, they put a contract on me thinking I might break weak in prison uh -huh. and, and give up secrets. So the only place the state of Florida could protect me when they acknowledged this contract was on my life, even though I didn't rat, it's still, the, you know, it's that world that thinks you may. They put <laughs> sure. me uh, on death row, figuring they could protect me there, isolation, actually. And I was next to him and uh, Spinkelink, actually, too. Uh, John Spengelink, which was the first man to be executed in the state of Florida when they brought the uh, 
uh, penalty bank, and then of course uh, Ted Bundy. Yeah, was, I don't think I lived in Florida at that time, so no. uh, that name doesn't ring a bell with yeah, me. Yeah, he was the first man to be executed. So did you actually talk to Ted? Yeah, oh sure. Yeah, we we uh, were right next to each other. Yeah, we could talk and converse, and yeah, I was there for three years. I mean, <laughs> it was no picnic. No, I'm sure. But he it was wasn't. A, he was a character. I mean, he was a very brilliant mind as much as people hate him and hated what he right. was but still he he, he uh, could have been a great lawyer had he gone the other way but he chose not to well you know and again uh leaving a legacy is all about choices and mm-hmm. and the choice that you make uh to use brilliance for good like your father started out doing uh, and, and then, you know, the unfortunate circumstance that takes you, you know, from using those talents for good to, uh, you know, just trying to survive uh, because of the wrongdoing of others. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, of course, the, the price that you paid for that. So so tell me what life is like now. I mean, I know that you're working on, on a movie based on the book. How yeah. did that all come about? Um, I, I worked this journey with Mickey Rourke back in 1990, my first uh uh, resurfaced in society, and Mickey read about me, and we had meetings, and, and I started that journey down that road with him, and we both aged, needless to say. He had left Hollywood for a while. I, I kept pursuing it and challenging it, and I, I saw Bob Evans, who at one time was the head of Paramount, and he told me an interesting thing. He said, well, once you do the book, the movie will happen. So uh, I turned a new angle, because I had written the script long before I did the book, and so I... I Went ahead and, and did the book the last two years, three years of my life, and sure enough, it, it turned the volume up and made it much easier to get the the, the movie where it's at today in, in the pre-production. And some financial guys read it and saw it and, and took the love like I have for my dad and, and said, let's make the story. So this past December, that's what happened, and, and these guys rallied and put the money up, and now we're in pre-production. and. We've got a great director, and we've got a great other producer uh, along with me. He's, he's the main producer, and uh, we're off to the races. We're in pre-production. We start casting this summer in New York. And, well, uh, now, did you have to end up participating in, in raising the money to make the movie, or did someone uh, no. actually put up all of the Somebody, Yeah, somebody, somebody read the book in Columbia, and they came forward and, and said they loved the story and wanted to make the movie about it. And, and they were touched by my dad's stories, mainly about my dad's stories, why they got touched. It wasn't so, so who, much Who pain. do you think should play your dad? Um, we're actually looking at uh, two two interesting people. We like George Clooney and Kevin Costner. That's who oh, we love, very like. cool. Yeah. Oh, they'd both be amazing. Yeah, yeah. And my dad how about How pretty, about playing you? I'm looking at Downey Jr. or um, Colin or DiCaprio. Oh, neat. Yeah. Well, yeah, what we, a great process to be involved in. So yeah. so tell me, how how are you giving back to society now? I mean, you, you did the, the film about, uh, you know, how to avoid uh, a robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book obviously has some, some tales in it that uh, recount not only just your, your life story, but, uh, you know, helping other folks realize how they can, uh, you know, get off on the wrong track and hopefully how to get back on the right track. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, giving back, I don't know if you'll ever be able to give back, Chicky, to be honest. I don't know that I, I probably could spend the rest of what's left of my life uh, doing uh, charity work, and I don't think it would ever be enough to give back. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just uh, I take every day by the grace of God and try to just do the right things today and, and hope I'm making all the right decisions, you know, and, and that's how I live my life. I don't... Uh, 
I'm not as flamboyant as I used to be in the early years. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, I don't have to have the Rolls Royce and the and the activities I used to have. I mean, I don't, I don't see life that way anymore. I really don't. I don't uh, I've. It's paled in comparison to how it is today. It's right. just a whole different lifestyle. Giving back, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be able to give back enough to right the the wrongs of what I've done. Well, the wrongs uh, actually end up getting righted in the heart and, mm-hmm. and not through uh, matching dollar for dollar what was taken. Right. And, you know, I think that that's the thing that you are doing for your father because mm-hmm. um, what was done to him, you know, can never be uh, reversed. But, uh, you know, he's in a much better place now, and, and uh, I am sure it warms his heart to see that, that you're trying to help leave that legacy in a pos- positive light, even even though he made some mistakes along the way as well. Well, I try to make sure that the kids and the university students and the young people coming up that have dreams and ambitions, that they realize that here's a guy that you know never went past the eighth grade, yet he strived to make the world better than when, when he left it, you know, and he did. He, he, he gave us 39 great inventions from the uh, Eisenhower Red Phone, in Amberdorf Air Force Base in 1955 that he helped develop, uh, you know, the alert system, and all the way to where we have touch-tone dialing, you know. So he did make it better. I mean, his light did shine, and I just want them to be aware of uh, his uh, his greatness that he, he left us and, and did make it a better place. You know, that's why I took all the time and the pains to, to tell the story. You know? And, Walter, do you have kids? I have two. I have a daughter of 41 and a son 40. And so what what legacy uh, are, are they getting from their dad? Well, we're not close. You know, I had uh, 11 and a half year void. When I when I went away, there were five and six. When I came back, they were 19 and 20. So uh, those are tough years to be away. <laughs> tough years to be away. And they've formed their own life. One lives in North Carolina. One lives over in Port Charlotte by you. And uh, she has three children. He has one. We don't communicate, but the girl I married... Uh, you know that we've been together 17 years. She she had two boys, and one was two, and one was five. So I've had more of an impact in them and their life right. than I have with my own children, ironically. But um, you know, God works in mysterious ways, as we know. Absolutely. And, well, what? And, tell me, tell me what got you and your father back together? I mean, because you yeah, guys had been apart for a long time. Well, the, this girl found my father, and I was she was having a 48th birthday party surprise party for me. And she found him. He was living in a, a Trailways bus station, busted oh, out totally, wow. in, in, in Reno, Nevada. And she got a hold of him and invited him at her expense or anything to come to my birthday party as a surprise. And oh, that, wow. Yeah, that's that's how it happened. And I got home one night, and there he was in the living room with all these my friends around. And then he made the choice to come because he says he had 18 months left to live. He had prostate cancer. Right. He didn't want to die estranged, so he took the opportunity to come to to see me. Oh wow, Walter! I can't even imagine what what was going through your mind as you walked into that room. I mean, surprise parties are hard enough without uh, without that thrown in. But uh, your wife must have loved you uh, pretty significantly to realize that uh, we were only girlfriend boyfriend. Mm-hmm. We were only girlfriend boyfriend that time. We knew each other maybe eight nine months when that happened. Oh wow! And it was a very um, you know, something I'll remember like it was yesterday, but it was it was tough. I mean, it was very, sure. very hard and earth-shattering, to say the least. 
especially for him to break it to me, he was dying. So it was right, right. Yeah, it's a lot to suck in all at it, once. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, and then, but we had eighteen months, and and I never left his side, and you know he was with me, uh, you know, to the end. I mean, and it was a tough thing, you know. That's why I wrote. And and what year did he pass away? Ninety six, July twenty first. Uh huh. So he he didn't get to see the book uh, come to fruition? No. In 2000, I got him the proclamation from the House and Senate honoring his inventions in him. I had an award done for him. And in in 2003, I had a a bronze statue made of him, you know, that we're going to place in the Inventors Hall of Fame. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. When the movie ends, that's where it will end. I'm giving the statue to them to honor who he was. So he didn't see any any of the, the great things that, would would give them, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, well, at least not in the flesh. In, right. in the spirit, lots of stuff can happen. So, yeah, uh, you're right. So, uh, I've never. Let I, I really am just amazed at your story. You know, when your publicist called me, I'm uh, we, when we were trying to slot where you were going to go. They're saying, well, you know, he's former jewel thief, and I'm like. Hmm, can I actually have him on a real life heroes show? No. They're like, oh yeah, no, you got to talk to him. No, you can't and, do that. Uh, He's just, uh, you know, he was a marvel, and a lot of people don't know the story. I mean, so it's, it's, you know, it's out there now. I mean, I've, uh, we did fifty thousand books the first year the book came out. So I mean, you know, it's, it's out there, and then we're doing the softback now this year. So the, the softback will go into print in, uh, in the summer, which will be about two hundred fifty thousand copies. So it's getting out there, and then when the movie, it'll be another reprint. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, that that should be really good for your sales. But, you know, I think the movie, and and what was the name of that movie that came out uh, last year about the guy who had developed... Oh, Flash of Genius. Flash of Genius. It was hard to watch the last half hour of that uh, without me realizing the similarities. You know, he died yeah, broke. you know, I didn't, I didn't see that, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an inventor myself, and I've got some patents that, uh, oh, that I have, heart. that I have uh, on file, haven't gotten uh, awarded yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go back and, <laughs> and make sure I uh, have protected myself appropriately. Of course, Flash of Genius, and and he, uh, he dies. Bob Kern's story, the the intermittent windshield wiper. He dies. Uh, he wins the case, but ultimately dies broke because he loses his family and. They rally at the end. They're all grown kids, and it's it's a lot of similarities. And of course, it was tough to watch the last half hour without not oh, I bet. similarity. Yeah. I bet. So, so what do you want to be remembered for? What I want to be remembered for, I guess, um, that I tried to do undo the wrongs that were done, you know, to to a marvelous inventor, and, and I like to remember that I. Carried my dad's torch to let the world know who we was. That's it. I mean, they're not going to give any awards to me. They'll be thankful that I'm finally uh, gone because of the life I lived and who I was. You know, so uh, as long as I remember my own people I loved, that they knew I, I didn't give up the challenge to to alert society and educate them about my dad's inventions. Well, the good the good news is that uh, the past is uh, something that gets wiped clean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and God has a miraculous way of giving us uh, a new start. Uh, his mercies are new every morning. A fresh and new so, every morning. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I certainly take uh, great hope in that uh, every day of my life, and uh, and know that it gives you the same hope no matter how black uh, your past was. I read and, it, I read the scriptures every day. I mean I, I I know it well. Believe me. And when you're when you're you're close to the uh, 
end zone and you see the ten yard line, you you really start start taking life serious. I mean, I, oh, I read yeah. it every day. Believe me, that's well, what I got to Well, I will be. I will be lifting up all of your family that uh, one day you will have uh, a meaningful reconciliation with your kids mm-hmm. and that they would understand uh, the a lot of the reasons behind things that happened in your life and that sometimes we do make choices and we have to suffer the consequences. I mean, that's something I teach my kids all the time. They, mm-hmm. they get to choose what they, what they do and they get to choose what they don't do, but they don't get to choose the consequences. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you live that pretty painfully. But uh, I am just really uh, glad to hear that you are not bitter uh, about no. uh, what you have been through, and that that you actually are using it to turn things around, and uh, you know, make sure that the memory of your father is one for his brilliance, and and not for some of those bad choices. And uh, one of the last things my dad said was holding his hand at the end. He says, "Remember one thing: you can put the sword away now. It's over for me. I've ran my race, and now you can, you know, for, more or less." He was saying, "You can forgive society because it's over." Just right. let everything go because I know a lot of things you did was because of the injustice that was done to me. But and that's how he was, and he wasn't bitter. And his favorite scripture was Proverbs twenty-two one: "A good name is rather be chosen than great riches." And and if he was that way, I mean, and, and so be it. You know, that's the choice he wanted was to forgive. He wasn't mad at anybody. He I never heard my dad say an unkind word about anybody and all yeah. the men that took advantage of him. Well, Walter, that's a a really, really powerful story, and and, uh, I'm glad you shared those last words with us because, you know, quite often we we look at people who have had disappointment in their lives, and, and, uh, you know, it can eat them alive and Mm -hmm. and all the way to death. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it doesn't hurt anyone but themselves. And and so I think uh, what what you are leaving behind in in your legacy even today is, is to help people understand that, that, that the past can be put in the past and that uh, to remember and be grateful for the really, really good things is uh, a great way to train up our kids and grandkids. Jackie, the only thing that I can tell you is the, the most valuable things are the things at the end of your hand, the things you can touch and embrace and hold. Right. That's the most important things, your children and your loved ones. And you won't okay. find it outside of that. No right. matter what you think the money and the power and the position the name does for you. Solomon said, I had everything, whatever my eyes saw I had, but it was all vanity and vexation of spirit, a chasing of the wind. Mm. So that's the, the way I look at life now. I, 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 I value what's at the end of my hand. Well, Walter, that is that is a, a great way to end our broadcast. We're actually moving into a segment about uh, children and kids with character, and uh, I think it's really fitting uh, the way that you ended this segment. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. All right. God bless you, Chicky. Thank you. Okay. You too, Walter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Wow. What a powerful, powerful story. Um, we were just joined uh, by Walter T. Shaw. He is the author uh, of a book that tells the story uh, of his time uh, working uh, for the mafia and uh, uh, living a life of crime, uh, making some uh, pretty pretty bad choices uh, early on in his life. Uh, his book is called License to Steal. 
and uh, it is being made uh, into a movie. The real hero of the story is his father, uh, an amazing man who invented a lot of the technologies that we enjoy every day, including uh, the hands-free access that uh, I've got to the phone right now to do this radio broadcast. Thank you again, Walter, and um, as I said, uh, my prayers are with you and your family that uh, we will see total reconciliation there. All right, let's shift gears to the kids at Cambridge School. Let me get them on the air. Good morning, Mr. Wilson. Good morning. How are you doing? You're doing Good. great. Good. Oh, and we've got the kids on speaker. Good morning. Right. So we've got Layla, Kennedy, Kira, and Josh, as I understand it. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, great. Well, Mr. Wilson, for those who did not get to hear last week's program, can you give us just a, a high-level summary of what has happened over the course of the last six weeks and what culminated last Friday for the fifth graders at Cambridge School? Okay, um, over the last six weeks, we started preparing for Enterprise Village, which is a, an, an economics unit that teaches the basics of the free enterprise system and uh, personal and business management uh, for fifth graders. And so over the last couple of weeks, we have been preparing um, and going through a workbook that is made up of 11 units, um, covering topics from basic economic terms to advertising to business ethics to making business decisions, managing um, and maintaining a personal checking account and a business checking account. They also learn some important things in economics uh, dealing with interest and the flow of money and how being a consumer and a business are all related together. And then last Friday on May 8th, we went and the children actually experienced Enterprise Village, um, and they were assigned a job and had to fulfill their responsibilities for those jobs, as well as fulfilling some uh, personal citizenship type of responsibilities throughout the day. So, uh, you know, they went into basically this village with sponsored businesses from Sweet Bay to Verizon, um, CVS, yeah, they reminded me of CVS, and they were actually living the life of a consumer and worker uh, for that whole day. So it was very busy all the way up to that point, and that day was very busy, but they all had a lot of fun. Well, terrific, and uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to join you guys. I, it was just great fun to watch uh, kind of the frenetic pace when we first got there and the kids uh, not being quite sure how much time they had to get everything done, and as the day uh, went on, uh, things kind of slowed back to, to a normal pace. So um, what I'd like to do this morning is I would like to start with Josh, because Josh uh, was one of the kids that we interviewed last week. Josh, will you remind everybody what job you had at Enterprise Village? I had Bank of America. And what was your job at Bank of America? I was a teller. Okay, so you had to actually interact with the different people who came in to cash their paychecks and, and put money in the bank. Is that right? Yes, I did. So, Josh, what um, 
what was your impression after going to Enterprise Village based on what you originally thought it was going to be like? Was was it what you thought? Well, at first, at, before we went to Enterprise Village, I thought that it was going to be more um, difficult to get health care and just do the business and help other people. But after Enterprise Village was over, I walked out and I thought, well, that wasn't too hard because really um, I kind of understood it very well from the people who taught me to do it, and I just had fun time doing it. Oh, that's so great. So what what was the, the biggest surprise for you when you got to Enterprise Village last Friday? Well, the biggest surprise was um, when I walked in, there was a lot of people there, and I made lots of new friends, which I didn't really expect. I thought it was just going to kind of hang out and do my job, and that was kind of the surprise, really. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad glad you guys did have some time. It, it, in the beginning, it didn't look like you were going to have any time to make friends there. <laughs> everybody was running and running, and you guys had a very, very long line at the bank when everybody got their paychecks. Yep, yep. So that was that was great fun. So did you like uh, having to serve customers? Do you like being on the front line, or, or you know, did you think you would have been uh, better at being a manager? Actually, I had really fun being a teller because I just um, we had a computer under a piece of glass on our table, and they, the customers would walk up to us and they'd give us their account number, and really we just click on find account number and type in their account number and give us a, their name, and it would um, tell us how much money they had. And I actually had a really fun time doing that. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I really like my first job. I, I worked uh, with customers, too, and, and that was a lot of fun to be uh, using a cash register and different things. So did they train you on the use of that computer when you got there, or was it just something you had to figure out? Um, a lady came into our um, our little building that we worked at Bank of America, and she took us through the steps in which we had to do to put deposits in and take cash out. Um, she told us how to work the computer and find their account number and all sorts of things like right. that. And, and, Josh, did you guys make money by the end of the day? Yes, we made a very good profit. And how does a bank make money? They make money by when a person um, needs a loan to from a bank because they don't have enough money. Maybe they want to start a business and they don't have enough money to. So they take a certain amount of money out of the bank if the bank allows them to, and then when they're done with that money, they pay the loan back but they have to pay a little bit more money than they borrowed so the bank can make a profit. Got it. And and what is that, that money called? Is, it, is that interest? Yes, it's interest. Okay, great. Well, it sounds like you had a great time, and, and uh, I'm glad to hear that it was actually even a little bit easier than you thought it was going to be. Um, let's talk to one of, of the girls. Layla, what was your job for the day at Enterprise Village? Well, I was the manager at Kane's Furniture. Oh, okay. So you guys actually had 
had furniture and accessories and stuff to sell to people? Yes. And and how did your day start? I, I didn't get to talk to you beforehand. Um, how many people did you have on your team, Layla? Um, I had the smallest business. I only had three workers, me, Lauren, and Andrew. Mm-hmm. And um, the day started pretty slow. No one really came because they were just starting to get their bank accounts set up. So in the beginning, it was pretty slow in our business. And what kinds of things did you sell throughout the day? Um, we sell small knickknacks such as jewelry and um, bendy flowers, some little tiny toys. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, so what was what did your job entail? What did you personally have to do in the store? Well, I had to try to sell our items by um, advertising, by calling other businesses, and by um, showing some advertisements outside of our building. Uh huh. And did you have to develop those ads yourself, or was there somebody else in Enterprise Village that developed the ads for you? Um, me and some of um, my workers helped me around, but um, usually it was me making the advertisements, but uh-huh. it's important, so they helped. Got it. And then you had to just go and, and call on the other managers in Enterprise Village to try to get them spent, to spend some money with you? Yes. Got it. Got it. What was the biggest surprise to you, Layla, about Enterprise Village? The biggest surprise was that it was actually bigger than I thought. And there were a lot more um, better businesses, and, like, the businesses were very um, realistic. So, <laughs> Yes, they were. That that was a nice surprise, too. It was kind of set up like a shopping mall. Yeah. And so, so each little store, uh, you know, had, had all of its own merchandise and, and services there. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when you uh, finished the day... What what was the thing that, that was different than what you had expected other than uh, just the size, so the whole work experience? I noticed that it was much more fun and easier than I thought it would be, and I'm planning to maybe be a manager when I grow up. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, you have a lot of good, strong managerial skills, Layla, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that that, uh, so far we heard from Josh and we heard from you that that it was actually easier. Um, Did you run into any problems throughout the day? Did did your your staff uh, do what they were supposed to? And did you have any difficult time when you had to ask them to stop doing something? Sometimes that happens with managers. We didn't have much problems, but um, the problem that I had was I almost forgot about giving the bank the loan application, which was really important. Oh, yes. I was able to give it to them. But my employees worked really hard, so they didn't have any problems. Oh, well, that's good. I know I was sitting in McDonald's at one point, and I saw someone come running in at the uh, very last minute to get their snack, and, and their break was actually already over, so their manager had to come and tell them that they needed to leave the food behind, and that was kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, that is really terrific, Layla. What what skills um, did you really need uh, in order to be selected as a manager? Did did Mr. Wilson see something in you that that uh, that gave you that right or that that opportunity? 
Um, the skill would probably be to, being to solve problems in your business mm-hmm. and trying to make your um, employees work as a team to cooperate. Great, great. Yeah, we talked about teamwork, didn't we, that uh, the Wednesday before you guys went and and how uh, in order to be a good team, you have to actually anticipate problems sometime and figure out how you're going to work through them. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, I am glad that you had a good time there, and it sounds like you learned a lot and uh, learned a little bit about what it's like to manage other people and to work as a team. All right. Well, next uh, we've got Kennedy. Kennedy, what was your job at Enterprise Village? I worked as a manager and an attorney at the professional office. Oh, great. Yeah, I I, uh, stopped back there when I first got there, but didn't come back to see what happened uh, during the day. So, Kennedy, what kind of cases did you have to solve throughout the day? Well, the cases sounded funny at first, like the missing teddy bear and the slippery pickle. (laughs) Once I read my files, I realized they were a little more serious, like the teddy bear case was about a mall caper, how Susan, she was wearing a red jacket and green pants, came into all the stores, and she stole a teddy bear from CVS. And my second case, the slippery pickle, was uh, very hard for me to decide because I had to decide whether my client should sue McDonald's for his medical bills for slipping on a pickle because he got a major, yeah, a major back injury. Wow. He had a scholarship, and he lost the football scholarship because of it. Oh, dear. So he ended up not suing because after he went to therapy for a few days, his doctors, after they performed surgery, he didn't really have problems. Like, he could talk very well and everything. So, we did not see McDonald's. So, why do you think that Mr. Wilson selected you to be the attorney? I think I was the attorney and the manager because probably he heard me talking all year long about how I wanted to become an attorney when I grew up. (laughs) Um, I kept writing paragraphs, and I really just kind of gave it my all to be the attorney and manager at the professional office. And so what did you put on your your job application that that let him know that uh, that you had the skills to do that? I said that I could research and investigate very easily, and over the year, I think I've been better at researching the more projects that we've done, uh-huh. also that I could deal with people very well, and I'm organized, so that could help me with my cases and finding promissoriness. So what was the biggest surprise to you, Kennedy, uh, about Enterprise Village? What was different than you thought? Well... The biggest surprise is probably my job as manager. I, if someone was late, I had to go and search for them. I was running all over Enterprise Village trying to call different businesses, and it actually was really easy it, with the help of my four, my three companions. The 
I had Taylor, and she was an insurance agent. Sarah was my bookkeeper. Right. And Troy was my CPA. So we were in the office running errands all day. And what we did was to kind of build on our business, to try to get make it a quality business. So that's what kind of surprised me. And did you guys make money? Yes. We made a profit of over $50. Oh, that's great. And how did you solve the uh, the caper, the teddy bear caper? Well, I solved the case by reading my different witnesses and reading what my witnesses said, kind of investigating. I went on the computer and typed out an investigation report, and I read it later that day at the town meeting. So I solved it by listening and reading, a lot of reading through my file. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. Well, that just sounds like it, it was a, a really, really interesting place to work. And I know uh, Kira had, had had her eyes on, on that job, so I would love to hear what Kira thought about her job. Kira, why don't you tell everybody what it was that you did at Enterprise Village? Well, I was a bookkeeper for McDonald's, and my job was to write all the checks to the other businesses and to, like, prepare the paychecks for um, all the workers at McDonald's. So it was just like a pretty rough day. Well, I saw you out helping at the counter a lot too. Uh, yes, I was because some people needed my help, and during lunch everyone was supposed to serve and learn like how to like serve properly McDonald's food. Right, you guys were one of the busiest places because that was the place where people liked to come during their breaks and, and during lunch. Kira, what were the, the characteristics uh, that were on your job application that you think made Mr. Wilson select you for the bookkeeper job? Well, he knows that I have really good handwriting, so he, he thought I was like really perfect for like um, writing the checks, like signing it, because I also wrote really well in cursive. Uh huh. And, and how are you in how are you in math? Um, I'm I'm pretty good in math. It, it depends on like my mood because sometimes I can get like B's, but usually I get A's. Uh huh. And and did you have to do uh, math in your head, or were you using a computer for most of what you were doing? I, I was using a computer, but um, some of the time I was um using um like um like I had to think about it in my head. Uh-huh. And did you have to interact with people in, in other businesses, or did you pretty much stay to yourself? Well, I I didn't really, like, um, ask any other businesses. I think I just, like, kept myself just a little bit. Uh, other than being a, a consumer and going and buying things, right? Yes, because, like, I made my own decisions on what I should get because no one pushed me to get, get this, get that, and all that. Right, except for the advertising was trying to reach out and getting getting you to buy certain things. Well, the interesting thing about a job like a bookkeeper is you are in what is called a support position. So the manager manages all of the support people and all of the frontline people, and Josh was a frontline person, 
and Kennedy uh, was in a, in a role where she was providing uh, both support and frontline uh, with her clients. So, uh, Kira, what was your biggest surprise about Enterprise Village? My biggest surprise about Enterprise Village was actually it was hard for me because I had to, like, write over 20 checks, and, like, I was sitting there, and it, like, took me, like, two of my breaks. I was almost done before my first break, but it was kind of tough because I didn't know how to really work the computer in the beginning of the day, but I actually hang of it when, like, I did it a lot because... Um, before I went to Enterprise Village, I actually thought I expected it to be really easy because it sounded easy when Mr. Wilson was explaining it to us and everything. But then he he kind of made it a little bit hard, and it did turn out to be hard. How did how did your team uh, work together? Well, we worked together by um, well, we were working together to get the right food like at lunch when. Someone asked for, like, a student lunch. We had to give them, like, a hamburger, um, nuggets, and, like, milk and cookies. And we had to remember that, like, by heart. And, like, a uh, teacher lunch was just, like, like the same. But a salad lunch was just a little bit different. So we all worked together to remember all the meals. And And do you think you guys worked really well as a team? Mostly we did work at... Oh, great as a team, but I think one time we did not really cooperate that that well. <laughs> and did your manager do a good job of resolving that? Yes, Kara was like, um, like pushing us to the limit in a good way. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's the job of a manager. Yes, and she was a great manager. She wasn't really like, do not do that or anything. She was actually like, home with us, and she didn't really yell at all. And and would you recommend that other schools uh, send their fifth graders to Enterprise Village? Do you think it was worthwhile? It was worthwhile because we need to know what to do when we are older because if we didn't go to Enterprise Village, we wouldn't ever have learned how to write checks, and that's actually a really important thing when you are a grown-up and you have to, like, when you don't have any cash or anything like that, you have to remember, mm-hmm. like, how to write so it was actually a really excellent way to learn about right, it. you learned how to make money too because that's the other really important side to writing checks is there has to be money in the bank <laughs> yes but one thing that was that's different about enterprise world in real life we weren't like really allowed to um like uh only take out a dollar every time we went to the bank got it Got it. Got it. Well, you know, uh, the folks over at Stavros, uh, which is where Enterprise Village is, they, they have another uh, exercise that the eighth graders get to go through where you actually get to have a, a full salary and you get to walk through what a whole month is like uh, of being an adult. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, all of you get a chance to go back there uh, when you uh, are in eighth grade. Yes, you tell well, me a lot. Mm-hmm. when we were, like, on our way home. Well, great. Well, my next interview this morning is going to be with uh, the director of, of the facility, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more from her about that. Well, kids, it's been great talking to you. I'm going to do a little bit of a wrap-up here with uh, Mr. Wilson, but thank you guys so much for sharing your experience with Enterprise Village, and uh, I'm 
glad to hear everybody had some fun. Yes, we really did have fun, didn't we? Yes. Yes. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to be posting some pictures from uh, our experience last week, and I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures that the coach took last week, too. I know she, uh, she did a lot. Well, thanks, kids. And uh, Mr. Wilson, I just wanted to get uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have here. Actually, I'm going to uh, go ahead and bring Valerie White on on, uh, on the air so uh, we can uh, have her input as well. Good morning, Valerie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, I've still got Mr. Wilson here. We just finished uh, talking with the kids. I think you caught the tail end of that. I did. It was so, great. So, Mr. Wilson, why don't you uh, share with us um, your experience, and, and did it go like you expected it to? <laughs> um, yes and no. Uh, given the way that they set Enterprise Village up to be as realistic um, in a controlled environment as possible, there's always things that you didn't expect to happen, happen. Um, but I had been to Enterprise Village you know, several years before, so I was expecting the frenetic pace in the first break and then uh, seeing the children adjust and really ease into their responsibilities and start to enjoy it a lot more. And, you know, some of the things that you wish you didn't have to expect, you know, still happen. Like I did see a few students just abandon their uh, check register because <laughs> they had a hard time keeping track. But it's all part of the learning experience, and it was another uh, successful trip and um, visit over to the Gustavus Institute. Well, great. Valerie, when you guys are, are uh, training the teachers, um, how, how do you help to set their expectations? Well, we give them all the objectives so they know exactly what to teach, and we go through uh, ways for them to uh, teach the teach the um, unit successfully, and uh, you know, hopefully, they are getting the students to completely understand everything before they're here. Because if they don't, then they don't have a successful day here. And Mr. Wilson, what have you done this week uh, as a wrap up to the experience of Enterprise Village, and what do you hope to accomplish between now and the end of the year to uh, to really gel that experience with the kids? Well, this week we've spent a couple of days working on um, one of the skills that was taught in the workbook, the PDSA cycle planning, which we did with the units before we got to Enterprise Village, um, going ahead and doing the uh, Enterprise Village experience. And then we came back and the study part was to talk about and debrief, you know, what actually happened, what went well, what didn't go so well. And then... Um, <clears throat> The last part is to act upon um, your studies. So the children and um, in their businesses and individually created a uh, plus and delta chart, which is kind of like pros and cons. What went well would be the plus, and the delta would be the things that uh, might be considered to be changed. So we talked about all those things. And one of the things that I stress with the students is um, on the delta side, if you notice a problem, you should also – you know, have an idea for a solution, one that might possibly work. You know, don't just be a problem pointer outer, uh, <laughs> but also be a uh, solution giver as well. And people will respect your opinion and what you have to say a lot more. And so, is there a feedback loop where you provide that back to Enterprise Village then? 
Yes, there is. In the uh, packet, they give um, a sheet for the teachers to fill out with um, suggestions and ideas uh, to help improve the Enterprise Village experience. And I incorporate some of the students' things with uh, what I thought as well. And we use those feedback forms uh, at Enterprise Village, and, and we look for patterns so that we can establish any improvements that need to be done. Well, very good. So, Mr. Wilson, what's on the agenda between now and the end of the year? Well, um, as far as Enterprise Village goes, um, you know, we're just about done with a debriefing, and through we only here at Cambridge, we only have about two weeks left, so it's quickly closing up. But we'll get back to a few things in our textbook, and I will be able to refer back to some of the things that we learned at Enterprise Village. Um, <clears throat> with, um, you know, our, just a basic textbook with percentages um, and decimals and things like that. Um, you know, specifically here at Cambridge, we still have a little work to do with a um, geometry, so. Got it, got it. Well, even though my uh, daughter is not coming back to Cambridge in the fall, uh, I certainly hope that uh, you will still invite me in to talk to your kids about uh, entrepreneurialism and about teamwork and leadership. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> okay, well, I appreciate it, and I will let you get back to your students, and uh, Valerie and I will uh, talk a little bit about the background uh, of, of Enterprise Village. Thanks, John. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay, take care. Okay, Valerie. Are you yes. still there? Okay, I great. I wanted to, make, wanted to make sure I hung up on the right uh, right <laughs> caller. Um, why don't we step back a little bit? I'm, uh, thank you so much for joining a little bit early, and it was fun to hear the kids and uh, the gravelly voice one was my daughter, so it was fun to hear her perspective <laughs> on her day. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about you first and then how you ended up uh, at the Stavros Institute, and, and then you can tell me a little bit about what the Stavros Institute is all about. Okay. Um, I was uh, an elementary ed major in, in college and then taught elementary school. And when I pursued a master's, I did so in guidance and counseling. So after teaching elementary school for six years, I went into guidance and counseling and did that at the elementary, middle, and high school level, even spending a year at the PTEC uh, level with the adults in, in guidance and counseling, and then decided to go back to uh, grad school again and got a second master's in educational leadership. And after I received that, I became an assistant principal and then a principal and ended up here uh, as, as my job for the last five years. So uh, just really excited about working with kids at all levels because, as you know, we not only have Enterprise Village at the Stavros Institute but also Finance Park, so I get to work with both 5th and 8th graders each and every day. And did you have a, a passion for entrepreneurialism and business education in the school system? Because, you know, this isn't uh, a regular part, uh, certainly over here in Hillsborough County, it's not a regular part of the curriculum. I know in Pinellas you guys have been successful, uh, and Pinellas School System is a big supporter of the Stavros Institute. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the Stavros Institute was formed and then also your personal passions around that? 
Right. The um, the Stavros Institute began 20 years ago, actually, with just the creation of Enterprise Village. Um, our superintendent at that time was Howard Hinesley, and he had gone on a trip and seen something that he thought was fascinating called Exchange City. And he brought the idea back here to Pinellas, and he um, he shared that with uh, a lot of the business leaders in the community, Gus Stavros being one of them. And uh, they also just developed the Pinellas Education Foundation, which uh, took that as an initiative to to get started the, the uh, concept of Enterprise Village because it was such a fascinating concept. So uh, after making a few trips back to Exchange City and securing sponsorships, the, the village was uh, developed. And, again, 20 years ago, it's amazing uh, that all that time has gone by. Really? But, that that yes. facility is 20 years old? Boy. Well, and I will tell you, the part that's 20 years old is the village. When you step into uh, the, the double doors there, the addition is uh, my office and the uh, the other meeting rooms that you see. And then... Uh, Finance Park was developed as a result of the success of Enterprise Village, and Finance Park is our eighth grade program, and it is uh, 10 years old this year. So we had an anniversary for both programs this year, uh, 20 Uh for Enterprise Village and 10 for Finance Park. Uh, my personal interest has always been in uh, economic education, but also when I was principal at Mount Vernon Elementary, uh, we we were kind of pioneering a partnership between business and school leadership, and uh, we had a wonderful partnership at that time with uh, Raymond James Financial. And so I, I paired with the, the, one of their CEOs, and for three years we had a wonderful partnership and it was uh, very successful, and we moved the, the school forward tremendously from a D to an A. So um, because of that and because of my interest in economic education, uh, that that's primarily why, why I'm here today. Well, that's really exciting. Now, um, the kids talked a little bit about Enterprise Village, but why don't, why don't you talk about the, the different businesses and, and what the kids are intending or intended to learn from from each of the different roles that they play? Well, primarily back in the classroom, it's an economic education unit, and they're studying a lot of economic terms uh, so that when they get here they know the meaning of those terms, such as supply and demand, and they know what consumers and producers are. Uh, They learn a lot about banking services, and basically what they're doing here is they're learning how to write checks and use checks to purchase goods and services when they're here in the village. So those those all are all very important terms that they they learn and skills that they learn back in the classroom. Back in the classroom, they are also applying for jobs that we have here at the village. And we have 21 sponsors that are represented in the village. So when you walk into Enterprise Village, it looks like a mini marketplace. And you will see um, the sponsors who have creatively uh, decorated their spaces to look very, very authentic. Uh, some of our sponsors include the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Canes Furniture, we have Sweet Bay, Bright House, Mix 100.7, where there is a DJ on the air uh, the whole time that the students are here. We even have HSN, the Home Shopping Network, where students are actually selling on the air all day their uh, their goods, and the students are able to call in just as we can from our homes to purchase um 
the the products in HSN. So every um, business has a manager and a bookkeeper and and other employees to market their their goods and services as well. Most of our uh, sponsors, most of our sites in Enterprise Village are um, profit-making so that at the end of the day, uh, we do have a town meeting and all the bookkeepers are reporting on their profits for the day. We also have a daily town mayor who runs the town meeting and uh, and actually is the, uh, the MC for the town meeting. And uh, so at the end of the day, the culmination is very, very entertaining and very interesting because you get to actually hear from all the bookkeepers and, and listen to what the profit-making uh, statistics were for the day. And the students are, are very excited when that comes, comes to play. So what did, we what also, does the mayor do the rest of the day? I, well, I kind the, of miss that whole function. Yeah, the, the, the mayor, the mayor uh, is getting actually doing some interviewing during the day and then we are we are also asking the students to to vote on uh their their favorite businesses and some we give them different questions to answer and then the mayor also is giving the answers uh to those questions based on the uh community how they answered those questions and working with the people in city hall there are various um um, job descriptions that the mayors have, and I don't have that right in front of me, but uh, but they're very busy during the day. Very interesting. Um, now, I noticed um, <clears throat> that it wasn't until about 10 days before the kids come to Enterprise Village that they actually find out what their specific job is mm-hmm. and, and that they don't always get the job that they want because you do have multiple schools uh, yes, that come, right. and, and so, you know, that group, you know, gets half of the businesses, right? Well, um, you know, it depends on the size of the fifth grade group coming. Some of our larger schools uh, that have 120 fifth graders, you know, they come alone. If the school size is smaller, then we'll pair them up with other with another school. So, uh, you know, some days we have just one school, and some days we might have two. Uh, and basically they are they are getting the job based on and I get this question all the time how do they know where they're going to work well once they get here that has already been determined by their classroom teacher and uh if you've seen the workbook that the students are working in you'll know that there is a job application form in the workbook that the students fill out and then the teachers will use various processes to dis- to determine who who gets what job? And right, I was there. I was there the it. day that Mr. Wilson oh, okay. uh, made the announcements about the jobs because I had been there teaching the kids about teamwork and leadership that day, mm-hmm. and it was very, very interesting because I didn't realize how intricate it was for him, you know. And, and I mean, it really was a, a bit of a tightrope of you know not disappointing some kids who wanted certain things. I mean, my daughter had her heart set on being the attorney, and. She's in a different block. Uh, you know, they they have they move around in in classes at Cambridge, and she's in a different homeroom than than Mr. Wilson. So her block uh, got McDonald's and Bank of America, and I forget which other business. Mm-hmm. And, and so it wasn't even that she wasn't considered for that. It was that he had to split 
the business opportunities even between the two blocks within Cambridge. So, you know, he had to balance not only their capabilities, but, you know, just all the the politics. And, I mean, you know, that's the way it is in real life, too. Exactly. And we're really happy that we don't make those decisions that those are made <laughs> oh, back I at the bet. school. Yeah. So when they come here, they are ready to work, and they, they get all suited up in their uniforms, and they are very serious about their jobs. And as you know, because you were here, uh, when you walk through the village, it's, they're very focused, and, and they don't oh, have time. Yeah to talk. I remember as a school principal uh, being excited about visiting when my fifth grade group would come, and, and I'd walk in, and it was kind of anticlimactic because nobody gave me any attention. <laughs> and that's because they didn't have time for me. So I understand that now that I work here. Well, I actually brought my computer, and I sat uh, in McDonald's and, and did some work so that I could spend the day you know, with my daughter, but still still get a little bit done while I was there. <laughs> That was a wise decision. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it it was good, and I got to take advantage of some of the snacks at McDonald's uh, on the breaks. But I I was very, very impressed with how realistic the business setting is. And, uh, you know, while the kids weren't cooking in McDonald's, the food was actually brought in for them to distribute. You know, they still, as Kara said, had to get the order right. Right, I had to remember right. the order from, you know, one side of the counter over to the other where they actually delivered it. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure when, when you haven't had to do that before. I remember my first waitressing job, and, and that was my biggest fear, is that I wouldn't remember the order from, you know, the moment I took it to the moment I had to write it down or, or actually to deliver on it. Well, and they work hard while they're here, and, and when they leave, they're exhausted. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, actually, uh, we had a good night's sleep that night. So let's shift gears from uh, Enterprise Village and, and talk about Finance Park. And, and this is the one that really fascinated me, and thank you so much for taking your uh, personal time to walk me through there. Because uh, right now, as you know, a lot of kids are seeing their parents in a very different light than they have in the past. I know in our household, our income has uh uh, dried up substantially because we own our own business and, and we do consulting to an industry that's hurting very, very badly. And so our kids have had to, you know, see things and, and it progressed along the way from, you know, bottled water disappearing and drinking out of the tap to, you know, all the way down to mom and dad cleaning the house now and not having cleaning people. So uh, tell me a little bit about Finance Park and how it differs from Enterprise Village. Well, it, it, it is definitely based on economics, uh, as, as Enterprise Village is, but we are getting more into financial planning in um, Finance Park. We're still focusing on financial institutions. Uh, we're moving from using checks to debit cards because that's pretty much real life now. Well, and, thank uh, you so much for not introducing credit cards at that juncture. <laughs> Right, right. But we do talk uh, extensively in Finance Park uh, about the advantages and disadvantages of credit because, you know, kids can get caught up in that and really uh, too young sometimes. So oh, we, absolutely. We, we need them to know um, how to use credit effectively and to their advantage. And um, and we talk about savings account and investing and, and those kinds of things. We also get into the effect of taxes on our income. Uh, we talk more about sales tax, income tax, property taxes. Uh, we also get into Social Security. Uh, and, and basically, you know, when students are, are contemplating getting jobs, they're thinking, oh, well, if it pays $10 an hour, I'll see that on my paycheck, and that's not realistic. So we talk to them about what a net monthly income looks like and how it's right. figured. And and uh, And then we get into... 
okay, you've made the money. Now, now, how do you spend it wisely? You know, and get into budgeting, and talk about what is a typical budget. What does a typical budget look like? And how do you make budget decisions uh, based on the constraints of your income and your life situation? So those are those are key items that we focus on. When they get here, they actually have have learned a lot and spent a lot of time on those kinds of issues personal budget issues they've done uh practicing they've looked in the paper for you know items that co- what what items cost what does it cost to rent for a month versus you know a mortgage and 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 they talk about those kinds of things right and when they and when they get here they're actually putting into practice it's a hands-on simulation for our eighth graders uh putting into practice what they've learned back at school and we give them a uh, life situation. When yeah, I was going to say, they don't know the life situation before they show up. No, right? they don't. When they get here, they're either married or, or single. They either have children or they don't. And their uh, annual income ranges from the high 20000s to the low 70000s a year. And then they have to break that annual income in, down into a net monthly income, and they have to pay all of their bills. And uh, they pay their bills by using a debit card, in our facility, and then we track them because our computer deducts uh, from their net monthly income as they pay their bills. So they're keeping track of how their money is going down, and at the end of the day, after paying all of their bills, if their their bottom line figure matches the one we have in our computer, then they've had a successful day. So they have to pay bills like you and I pay. I mean, they have to pay have a car payment, and they... Uh, they pay Bright House Networks. They pay an energy bill. They buy a car uh, that we even ask them to eat out once a month. Uh, so, you know, we do we do ask them to do the things that you would do normally, uh, trying to live off of a, off of a paycheck. Right, right. And and so, what are what are the biggest challenges that the kids run into there? I mean, obviously, it's the life challenge of of uh, not having enough uh, month left over when you run out of your money, right? Well, exactly. What they what they figure out is, uh, I didn't you know this looked like a lot of money to me when I got the you know the amount, but now when I look at what it takes to live, I'm understanding. You know, I need to I need to look at budgeting. And what we do is, uh, what we what we have for them is kind of a, a chart so that they don't you know there there's a, a minimum and maximum percentage that we ask them to look at in terms of how they uh, they pay their bills. If and some of the bills can be paid using uh, monthly credit, uh, for example, their Keynes bill. You know, they're not going to, uh, we're not asking them to, to spend hundreds of dollars on furniture, but, uh, you know, they're, they're paying monthly on maybe a couch they've bought or something of that nature. So, right. Yeah, they're, they're learning a lot about uh, the fact that money is, can only be stretched uh, so far. Right. <laughs> Just like real life. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's, the, that's what we hear all the time is this is great because it is so much like real life. And Valerie, what happens when you have other school systems, maybe even outside of the state, who hear what you're doing at Stavros? Um, how how can other folks, uh, you know, look at starting a similar kind of facility in their area? Well, what happened? Uh, I guess it was about uh, 
five or six years ago, maybe even longer than that, uh, because I've been here five years, the uh, Junior Achievement Organization wa- uh, loved what we were doing here, and they negotiated with the school system the purchase of the rights of the curriculum for both Enterprise Village and Finance Park. So Junior Achievement took the curriculum that we have and duplicated it pretty much uh, worldwide. So I know there's even a finance park in Japan at this point, oh, and they cool. they are trying to. And do they call uh, it finance park? I know they, they changed the name of of Enterprise Village. They they still, to my knowledge, do use uh, finance park as their as as what they call it. But you're right, Enterprise Village now is called Biztown. So uh-huh. when you hear Biztown, it's pretty much the same concept as Enterprise Village. But yeah, uh, finance park, I believe that the name was kept. Uh, but but that is that's what I direct people to do is to contact the um, junior achievement office nearest to them and find out from them you know, wh- you know wh- what they're doing locally with these programs because unfortunately I'm not able to share much anymore because of the legal constraints. Got it, got it. Um, do you have people who come and and visit and just observe? all the time? Uh-huh. Yes all the time, uh, both nationally and international. I do international tours a lot, too, uh, j- just because it really is very, very popular. And, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's, a lot of people have heard about it now. So word of mouth has spread, and I get a lot of calls for tours. And uh, I, I certainly always love to do tours because we're very proud of what we do here. Oh, well, it's, it's very, very impressive. Now, there, there's one other aspect of, of what you guys are doing, and, and tell me about Career Cove. Right. Career Cove is the third leg of our um, – actually, we would love to have an elementary and middle school and a high school version of economics education at its best. So uh, we are trying to expand what we're doing with Career Cove because right now Career Cove is a curriculum in the classroom. There is no hands-on experience attached to that as of yet. And right now, Career Cove is for high schoolers, but it doesn't have a direct home. And what I mean by that is that Enterprise Village and Finance Park in Pinellas County Schools is mandated to be taught through social studies at the fifth and eighth grade level. But Career Cove is not a mandated curriculum, which means if teachers at the high school level choose to teach it and have room in their curriculum, we're happy to to have them include it. But it is a six-week unit and what it talks about mainly is the importance of post-secondary training uh there's also practical ethic there's a lot of ethics in in that curriculum decision making uh through uh what would you do in a in a situation uh if somebody was if you were working and somebody came in who was a friend of yours and you were selling and they wanted a free pair of jeans from you you know ethics comes into play big time in this curriculum right. Uh, attitudes and behaviors and ethics is is hit upon. Uh, employability skills, we get into that. Uh, we do also talk about how personality styles should influence your job choice. Um, and and we get into the interview process. You know, what is a good interview? How to prepare for an interview? Uh, what are what are some good interview questions and answers that you should consider? And and some resume developing also with that curriculum. Huh, very, very interesting. Well, you know, again, I have I have a personal passion to see uh, this side of, of education, uh, you know, really grow in importance because I think it, it is very, very sad that, there you know, there are so many aspects of education 
that haven't been kind of brought into this century. And, and uh, you know, I get frustrated in, in trying to uh, help with homework when, you know, my children are, are learning how to memorize, uh, you know, names of different people back in the 1800s that, you know, they don't know how to manage their allowance and don't know about uh, saving and credit and, and, you know, kind of the things that make the, the world go round. And then, you know, they hear things on TV and they, they just get totally – uh, you know, flipped out about, uh, you know, everything that's being said on the news. So I, I was just so, so grateful uh, for my daughter uh, going through Enterprise Village while she was at Cambridge, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, my kids are moving on uh, to uh, public school in, in the Hillsborough County school system. And I am really hoping uh, that I can uh, sit down and, and talk to the leadership at her new school uh, about how valuable uh, that was and, and really try to get them to uh, embrace the finance park uh, experience when she hits eighth grade. Well, I hope you can do that because we are trying to market our uh, program, our finance park to the eighth graders there in Hillsborough County because they don't yet have one. And, uh, and it's just a, a quick trip over the bridge and we really feel like we could uh, help students over there and share, share what we're doing here. So if you are able to get the word out for us, we would appreciate it. Well, uh, definitely. And uh, the other thing I'd like uh, just to take time, I, I know you're, you're passionate about uh, getting volunteers. So oh, thank you. talk yes. to me a little bit about what it takes to volunteer in Enterprise Village or Finance Park and uh, how people can get involved. We really are in desperate need of volunteers because we cannot operate our programs without them. Um, in Finance Park, I need one volunteer for every six students because they are going to be directed, uh, directing the students throughout the day. And we, uh, most of the time, those volunteers are parents, but a lot of times parents can't get off work or they can't get here for one reason or another. And we, uh, we need people who enjoy working with students and can devote a, about a four-hour day to us and basically just whenever they were free to do so because we uh, we understand people have commitments and can't offer a day a week or anything of that nature, but even a day a month or a day every two months, we would be happy to, to have those kinds of people contact us who uh, enjoy working with students. And in Enterprise Village, I need at least one volunteer for every business, and we have uh, over 20 businesses now. We prefer to have two volunteers in every business. Uh, but we, we would just definitely uh, welcome anybody who's interested in working uh, with students and enjoys the concept that we are all about, economic education. If you um, would call us, uh, at, and I don't know if you, do you want me to give out our number? Yes, or? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, we're at area code 727-588-3746. Uh, we are in the middle of Largo, and um, we are very, very easy to find. We're at 12100 Starkey Road, uh, right next to Walsingham Elementary, if somebody is familiar with that location. Uh, give us a call. We do operate uh, just during the school year because when schools are closed, we don't have students come through. But we, during the school year, are in desperate need of volunteers, and, and I would encourage anybody who is interested to please contact us. We also have a website, which is www.stavrosinstitute.org, and all of our contact information is on that website as well. 
Well, Valerie, I think I had mentioned to you that I, I volunteer with an organization here in Tampa called Real Estate Lives, and uh, we have uh, a meeting uh, a couple of times a month, and this Friday happens to be the meeting where we have um, all, all the people, we call them rebounders, who are out of work from uh, both commercial and, and residential real estate and, and uh, mortgage banking and all of the ancillary services that kind of sit around the real estate industry here in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, I'm going to encourage our rebounders, uh, you know, at, at least once a month uh, during the school season, uh, you know, to come and, and volunteer and just really take a break from, uh, you know, from the pressures of job hunting and, and uh, you know, get encouraged by the energy and enthusiasm that I saw in the kids uh, last week. I was uh, just very, very uh, pleased with how, how into it everyone was. I mean, you didn't see anybody slacking off. I guess, you know, the there just isn't time for slacking off. No, they're very, very focused when they're here, and it's so funny because, you know, they they always remember this day, and I've talked to adults I've run into in the community, and when I tell them where I work, they went, oh, I was the DJ there, and, I mean, they give me specifics <laughs> about their day, and, and it's just so wonderful to know that this is the highlight of their fifth grade year, and, and they remember it always, so uh, it's great. It's great fun to work here, and it's the kids who now, because we're 20 years old many of them are parents and bring their right. own students back and, the, and that's really fun to have those conversations well but in, thank in you your, for promoting our well, volunteerism because i am that's, happy that's to do that happy to do that for you and uh, in our last couple of minutes that we have left in the five years that you've been there perhaps you can share with us a couple of stories of feedback that you've gotten from people. I mean, we heard from uh, Layla, one of the, the girls, uh, who, or actually, I think it was Kennedy, um, who uh, had gotten the job of, of the attorney, and, and that's something she's always wanted to do, and, and it really reinforced that decision. And Layla, who I know her, her parents have her kind of slated for uh, being a doctor one day, uh, <laughs> said she really enjoyed uh, being a manager. And, and of course, doctors uh, also have managerial responsibilities often. So what, what kind of feedback, whether it be from Enterprise Village or Finance Park, have you gotten about how it really has changed or impacted uh, individuals' lives? Well, it's funny you should mention the, the story you just did about the lawyer because I, I was just uh, talking yesterday to some of my teachers and they mentioned a similar situation. Uh, a teacher came through the other day and she said, you know, my daughter came through Enterprise Village and she was the attorney and now she is an attorney. And oh, and her cool. daughter says that, that, you know, being a part of Enterprise Village and, and the attorney's uh, job description there really sparked her interest and in, in basically she, you know, she does she does say that that, that was was part of the reason she chose the career because she had a very very positive uh, situation here at Enterprise Village and and for for as far as Finance Park goes we have parents all the time say well you know now my kids know they just can't say just write a check anymore or just right. go to the money machine uh, they understand that you know when I get paid that I don't have all this extra money for everything they want when they start paying their own bills they see that. You know, money is only stretched so far. So, uh, so I get comments like that all the time. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're always saying thank you for for teaching them what I've been trying to convey to them. Well, Valerie, that is just so terrific, and and I will just uh, extend an offer out to you that if you do get to the point where you are going to build out Career Cove. 
uh, and have uh, you know an equivalent experience to what you've done with BizTown and Finance Park. I would love to help you in that planning because uh, I just think the more kids can know about what what the real uh, work life is like and, and the the impact of the choices that you make and particularly for those of us who are, are born entrepreneurs that you know quite often going uh, you know to college or going into a, a, a career in a corporation can be a very very frustrating experience because that entrepreneur is always wanting to get out and corporate life you know pretty much is meant to squelch uh, you know that kind of out of the box thinking now obviously there are companies that that are exceptions to that but uh, you know, I'm I'm very very passionate about helping under, people understand what it's like to start your own business. Well, thank you, and I will definitely uh, keep your name and number and 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 call on you as a resource. Please do, Valerie. I would love uh, to do that again, even even for Enterprise Village and Finance Park. If there's anything I can do uh, to help you, and and certainly to help you spread the word, uh, I am happy to do that. Well, I appreciate that, and and contact me anytime if I can be of any service. Absolutely, and I'll be providing you the link to today's show. So uh, thank you so much, and I I hope to find uh, time between now and the end of the school year to come and uh, volunteer at Finance Park. Oh, we would love to to see you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Valerie. Have a good day. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now I am joined by one of my best friends in the whole wide world. (laughs) Good morning. Well, Chris, I uh, I am delighted for you that you are uh, so busy now that you can't be a regular co-host with me, but I do miss you. <laughs> well, I miss you. I did not, I mean, I knew it at the time, but I don't think I realized, sometimes you don't realize until you miss something, until it's gone, how much of an impact something had on your life. And this was always just a way that, kept my spirits up uh, you know doing the show with you was just a wonderful way to get through the week and make sure that I was on top of my game because it was always so exciting well I think I, I was thinking about this this morning because I, I actually started writing up my story because a lot of people you know are asking me you know where Solutions Live is going and you know Am I enjoying it, and what what's going on with it? And you know, because as you know, I've I've got my hands in a, a lot of different pies, you know, mostly out of necessity of trying to find the one that is going to help us kind of get back uh, on our financial game. Um, but as I was thinking about that, uh, it was really interesting, Chris, because I, I the word that popped into my head was actually one that Don Russell used a couple of weeks ago in talking about unintended consequences. <laughs> and, you know, when I started thinking back to the last, really, gosh, four months now, uh, I, you know, I've done probably over 100 shows all told, including the Transition Solutions uh, special series uh, for people in transition. And I have just met the most amazing people. And if back in January, the first week of January, when when this idea started germinating, if instead I had sat back and, and said, gosh, you know, how over the course of the next four months can I expand my vision beyond the travel industry? How can I meet, um, you know, 50 really influential networkers? You know, and if that had been my goal, I don't know if I would have ever come to the conclusion that a radio show was the way to get there. But, oh, my God, you know, that is the unintended consequence of what happened with starting this show. 
And as you know, it came out of originally having this excess content, you know, 150 speaking proposals for our executive girlfriends group, and there was no way I could use all of them. Right. But at the you same know, time, you wanted to hear them. They were fascinating. You were yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, and actually it's funny because, you know, I, I have uh, made a, a commitment to myself and to my family, uh, you know, to cut back my summer schedule, if not, uh, you know, go on hiatus uh, totally for the summer. And, you know, every week I look back through all of the people I haven't had on yet, and it's like, okay, now do I just start scheduling them out into September and October or uh you know do do I just uh you know do a, a scaled back schedule for the summer. So the jury is still a little bit out on that, but uh it it tugs at me for sure. Well, I yeah. Well, I'll vote that you could take the summer off, or at least <laughs> a month or two a month or two of the summer. Well, yeah. if I can figure out how Six to replay old shows, maybe we'll do the best of solutions live uh, there you go. over the summer. So uh, that that's my challenge over the next couple of weeks to figure out. I, I know there's a way technologically. Well, since you didn't get a chance uh, to be a part of the shows this week, I did want to just uh, do what we normally do, which is go back over the shows a little bit. Um, I started off on Tuesday morning with a really fascinating guy. His name is uh, Gerald Sandel, and he's the author of a book that just came out called The Genius Machine. And he does coaching for people who want to write books. And I thought, oh, now if all of this last five months was, you know, just for the culmination of me meeting him, you know, then it's worth it. But um, in his book, and I haven't gotten a copy of it yet, but it actually outlines the 11 steps that turn raw ideas into brilliance. And, huh, doesn't that sound like something you want to read? Absolutely. 11 steps, huh? Yeah, so basically what he said is that, you know, he looked at all these people who talked about innovation, um, but nobody really had broken it down into how you can think effectively. There's a lot about doing, <laughs> a lot about planning, but not about a framework for thinking. And so he talks about this step-by-step -step system for developing an idea, thinking through an issue, uh, or, of course, creating a revolutionary uh, innovation. So um, anyway, I, it was just delightful uh, to talk to him. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm excited to read the book because I, I think that there are going to be a lot of ways uh, to apply uh, what, what I heard. But he's him. specifically writing about how to write. I mean, how well, to write a book. Well, he says, it's, he says it actually goes beyond that. It ah, really okay. is actually using this. Uh, you know, thinking process to take an idea that quite often will start out fuzzy, weak, or partially baked and, you know, turn it into a robust, polished uh, idea that's ready to change the world. And, you know, clearly ah, he gotcha. uses this with authors. But, I mean, I think for entrepreneurs and those of us in early-stage businesses. Oh, absolutely. Um, You've still, you know, you're continuing to refine the concept, the ideas, the way you talk about it for years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So anyway, um, cool. you know, and I his, think it was the genius machine. The genius and what was his name again? Machine. His name is Gerald Sindel. S I N D E L L. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. Who else? 
Who else well, did I miss? <laughs> the next one, and, and I'm I'm not going to get his age right because he never really did disclose it, but I have a feeling he was in his 80s. Okay. And his name is Al Weatherhead, and he is the author of a book called The Power of Adversity. Tough times can make you stronger, wiser, and better. Oh, I, I so agree with that. Okay. <laughs> and so it was really the story of his life. And, and he had grown up, his father uh, had a company, uh, a manufacturing-oriented uh, business. And, you know, he had always grown up thinking he was going to step into the shoes of his father. Okay. And it, it was interesting because uh, this mirrors a little bit the story that I heard last week uh, when I took Tuesday off and went to uh, – this leadership course that I went to because we heard Wayne Heisenga, oh, yeah. Wayne Heisenga Jr., whose father, of course, was of um, you know uh, trash fame with uh, waste management oh, and yeah. also Blockbuster, and and so Wayne also grew up uh, living this charmed life of having you know whatever he needed. Uh, even though Al's story is a little bit different because Al was growing up in the Depression, so even though his father was a businessman. Um, you know, he still, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have the opulence that uh, I think Wayne had. Um, but but the interesting parallel is that, you know, at a critical juncture in both of their lives, their father um, sold the company. And so what they thought they were, you know, stepping into this legacy, both of them had that pulled right out from under them. Oh. And, and what ended so, up happening... wow, talk about floundering. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, actually the way that Wayne described it last week was, you know, he had this total crisis of confidence because, you know, he had never seen himself doing anything other than being in the waste business. And, you know, while clearly he could have, uh, you know, kept a job with waste management, it wouldn't have been the same as stepping into his father's shoes. Well, right. Um, You know, I mean, he still might have emerged as the president of the company, um, but it certainly wasn't being handed uh, to him on a silver platter, and nor did his father hand it to him. So anyway, back to Al's story. Um, Al ended up uh, battling uh, alcoholism and heart disease and uh, also uh, suffered from uh, rheumatoid arthritis and just, you know, kind of battles on all fronts in his life. And um, anyway, uh, you know, he just, he really, really struggled. And in the end, he had a uh, a, a number of failed marriages and also lost a child. And and so his story just was all about uh, learning that adversities are really blessings in disguise and that you have to be able to pull off, uh, you know, kind of the ugly layers to get to uh, the diamond that's at the core. And uh, I don't remember whether I had this discussion with you or with myself last Thursday uh, as I did my 30-minute monologue on, on the week, but um, I've been helping folks, uh, you know, doing mentoring, and one of the things that I have them do as as an exercise is to lay out their life and and the milestones in their life, both good and bad, and the 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 dark milestones, and which I have them draw as a dark circle, are those times of adversity when you just think that you you can't move ahead, or or you just feel thwarted in whatever you've done, and that right behind that, and, you know, maybe it's a a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, you know, there's a diamond in your life 
that is a real turning point for you where you couldn't have had that had you not had the adversity. So, you know, it was really interesting to hear Al, uh, you know, walk through that. And, you know, now he uh, is a leading philanthropist. He's uh, endowed uh, uh, various schools at Harvard and Case Western and Columbia and uh, it's just an amazing guy. So it, it was an interesting, uh, interesting interview and an interesting story. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, then that was followed by a woman named Diane Crampton, who uh, her passion is all about collaborative leadership and and growth, which of course is is the eleven o'clock show. Um, you know, is is really sitting at the center of that. So she has developed a methodology around the acronym TIGERS, uh, TIGERS Amongst Us, and, and uh, I don't have my notes uh, right in front of me about what that stands for. Uh, but essentially she's come up with a met- methodology that, you know, kind of deals with the softer side of, of uh, life and, uh, you know, not some of the more hardcore leadership methodologies, but but actually getting people to work together, uh, you know, by realizing that they do have to collaborate <laughs> and, and that it isn't really a choice. Um, You're that, stuck with me, baby. <laughs> well, and to choose not to collaborate is, is really to withdraw and decide that you're not going to be a part of the team at all. Right. Uh, and, it is a and, choice. Yeah, and and it's interesting because, you know, in my early career, before I realized that I was an entrepreneur, I tended to gravitate to jobs which we called individual contributors, right? Right, right. And that was just an excuse not to have to work in a team. (laughs) (laughs) Because you always found those team members a little less risk, a little more risk averse. How's that? Yes. Well, not only that, not only that. I mean, some people have the leadership gene and some people have the managerial nurturing gene. And while leaders need to work on developing, you know, some of those softer skills, um, you know, I just, I uh, didn't have the patience to get everyone on the same page and on the same channel. Uh, You know, it's part part of that alpha dog syndrome that we get. You're funny. Um, and then, then uh, our next guest was uh, Sabina, and I'm, I may butcher her last name, Patason. And Sabina was talking about doing um, PR for small businesses and for entrepreneurs. Oh, and cool. she had been a PR professional before she decided to leave corporate America. And, of course, the 1130 show is our Escape from Corporate America, right. done in partnership with Pamela Skillings, the author of Escape from Corporate America. And the really, really cool thing about Sabina is that she has gotten involved with uh, a collaborative organization called Collective E. And you need to look this up, Chris, because uh, you know, I don't know where you guys are in, in your PR uh, needs in your new business, uh, but it's collective-e.com. And Collective E has a whole series of resources and a mailing list uh, of ideas that they provide, uh, you know, to help you nurture brands uh, or, or nurture ideas and build brands. And, you know, they provide those how-tos and advice, uh, you know, just on their website. And then, of course, they do have a membership that you can uh, sign up for that's really very, very reasonable. I mean, uh, you know, I know when I think about uh, PR for businesses that I'm involved in, you know, you're usually looking at $15,000 a month uh, for a retainer and then, you know, expenses on top of that. But 
um, they really have a, a bit of a do-it-yourself and uh, you know help help your neighbor kind of theory, um, and uh, encourage people to uh, you know buy from other entrepreneurs. And they've actually got a cool. seal, a seal on their site, uh, a red seal saying, "I buy entrepreneur. It feels good." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I do too. And, I and love so that. that. Was, okay, uh, we will definitely look that up because you know we're absolutely going to be in the market for things like that soon. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, today uh, has just been, you know, again, it's always interesting how things shape up. I had gotten a, a call the other day from a PR person, and and they were pitching, actually two different people to me, and and uh, both of them were on the subject of innovation. And, you know, with the thought that I am not going to be doing my show in the summer, I only have two weeks of my innovation show left, and I, I've had those booked actually for more than a month. And so I was trying to figure out if I could move the speakers uh, to another slot. And, um, you know, the other slot that I had open was my first slot this morning, which is called Real Life Heroes. Well, the one that they uh, said was actually available was a former jewel thief. And I'm thinking, okay, no, how am I going to put a, you know, the world's most notorious ex-jewel thief in a show slot called Real Life Heroes? You know, it just didn't seem to fit. Uh, but fun. I am so glad I listened to their encouragement because Walter T. Shaw, who was my guest this morning, and he's the author of a book called A License to Steal, um, he is actually the son uh, of a man also uh, called Walter Shaw, Walter Shaw Sr. And Walter was a, uh, a brilliant inventor. And he is actually the inventor and was the original author of the patents on call waiting, speakerphones, conference calling, and a number of other, I, I think he had as many. Things as, we uh, can't uh, live without. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, I know you're old enough to remember when Bell was all this big, collaborative, behemoth company, and Bell had a law that they had in place that prohibited people from connecting devices to uh, the Bell phone system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And as a result, he never made a dime off of any of his inventions. Uh, His patents were actually... Uh, in essence, stolen from him uh, in in such a way that that as the Bell broke up into the Baby Bells and, and uh, the other Bell Labs and all of that, um, you know, he ended up penniless. And because he was, oh, uh, you know, he, he had no money, but he was still incredibly talented. Uh, he stumbled on. Uh, a local business in in New York that he he dealt with. I think it was in New York. It might have been in Florida. But at any rate, and and as it turned out, the business was a part of the mafia. And so he ended up um, taking his technology, and because he was desperate for money, uh, designed a black box that actually allowed the mob bookmakers uh, to make toll-free, untraceable calls. (laughs) And and that device, um, while it... them right. Yeah, I mean, it Sorry. made him some money, but unfortunately it landed him in front of a Senate subcommittee, uh, which was headed up by uh, Bobby Kennedy, and then he was later convicted and served, I, I guess, about a year's uh, jail time. And and the law that he was convicted on was this law of not collect, uh, connecting to the Bell Network. Uh, I mean, it, it's just... It, right, it's the just one that screwed him un- up. 
believable. But right. because of his touch with the mafia, you know, his son uh, also got involved in the mafia, and actually the two of them uh, went, I, I believe, over 20 years without speaking. And then uh, Walter... Um, uh, that I interviewed this morning uh, ended up by the time he was 19 was a recognized soldier for a national mafia boss, and in 1969 he joined the dinner time burglar jewel thief ring, uh, where they robbed people uh, during dinner when they were home. And I mean these were people with very very large homes, obviously. And so while the people were eating dinner and and uh, you know feeling safe and secure in their own homes. Uh, the the dinner time burglars would go up to the master bedroom and you know they stole uh, they did a staggering three thousand jobs worth more than seventy million dollars uh, since the early seventies. Wow. So, um, Walter was never actually caught in the act, but he was ratted out and convicted on uh, four different counts, totaling forty nine years of imprisonment. And because uh, he had death threats actually from the mob who thought that he was going to rat them out, he was moved to death row, not because he was, uh, you know, being convicted uh, uh, to right. death. He but he yeah. was actually in the cell next to serial killer Ted Bundy. <laughs> so uh, all of this, oh. uh, you know, ha- has proved for, uh, you know, a great round of materials for his book. Um, you know, he has, of course, since been released from prison. Uh, I, I forgot to ask him what, what actually was the catalyst behind that, but uh, I guess I need to buy his book to see that. Uh, and then yeah. in, the, in the early 2000s, when he was released from prison, he uh, released a burglary prevention DVD called It Took a Thief to Stop a Thief. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it got him on the Oprah Winfrey show and Inside Edition and Montel Williams. Oh, but cool, the cool, state cool. of Florida actually took him to court because they didn't think that he should be able to make money off of the crimes. Yeah, off of crime. Right. And, uh, you know, and while I understand that, um, you know, who better to stop a thief than a thief? Um, but again, the interesting thing about the show was that what we really talked about was that you know he shouldn't be famous for being a crook. It really should be his father who should be famous, and not for what happened to him after he was destitute, but for uh, you know all of the telephonic breakthrough uh, yeah. technology, um, wow. and including the red phone that was used by uh, Eisenhower in the White House to con- contact the Kremlin. That was his his design, and his patent. And uh, because his father uh, died broke and never made a penny on his inventions, um, what he is doing now is is really trying to set the story uh, right. Very similar, and I didn't see the movie A Flash of Genius that that, uh, is recently out about the guy who uh, owned the patents on uh, the windshield wipers. Yep. And the car manufacturers uh, kind of stole that from him. And, you know, he said it was very painful, actually, to watch that movie because apparently in the last 30 minutes, um, you know, he and the the guy uh, dies before he, you know, gets to see the the retribution uh, and and the recognition for what he had done. And his father also died uh, of cancer uh, before the book was written. So um, he said that the book or the movie is going to be coming out. So uh, absolutely putting that on my list of things to see and and want to read the book. Absolutely. And then uh, uh, from 10.30 until uh, just when uh, we were starting today, um, we were interviewing 
kids that had attended Enterprise Village, and I know you've heard me talk about this multiple times. I know. I knew this was going to be one of your favorite parts of the month. Oh, it was so much fun. And, <laughs> and last week, we um, there, uh, Mr. Wilson, who is uh, Kara's science and math uh, teacher, had had selected uh, you know three kids out of the class, which uh, did not include Kara. And and so of course I had to to uh, deal with the the family situation of her coming home and having heard that her uh, colleagues were interviewed and and she wasn't, um, but uh, that got rectified this week not by my request but by uh, a a coin toss amongst them and so she was uh, included in the group that uh, I interviewed this morning which was great fun she has such a, a great gravelly radio voice. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we uh, last week we talked about what their expectations were of Enterprise Village, oh, and then last uh, last Friday we went to Enterprise Village, and and I uh, spent the day there. I took my laptop so I could get some work done, but observed her working and observed some of the inner workings of all the different businesses. And honest to God, it is just so fascinating. You need to see if they have uh, the junior achievement version there in uh, in Dallas and it is called BizTown B-I-Z Town and Junior Achievement bought the curriculum uh, from the uh, Stavros Institute and, and the Pinellas County School Systems uh, you know which had helped to formulate it and this is just the most amazing thing they've got set up I think she said they have 20 businesses it, it's set up like a uh, uh, like a shopping mall Okay. And, you know, so you can walk in and, and go to Bank of America. You can go to the furniture store, Kane's Furniture. Um, they've got Home Shopping Network. They've got uh, the local radio station. They've got um, Salvador Dali Art Museum for you know, people to donate to the arts. I mean, just really fascinating. They've got a mayor and they've got professionals. And um, so I, I got to observe uh, the whole process from start to finish, which was great fun. And then uh, Valerie, who is the director, took me on a tour of uh, the program that they put eighth graders through, which is called Finance Park. And uh, I that listened was really in and heard a little bit about that. That uh-huh. was really very cool. Yeah, and then uh, the third part of their program is called Career Cove. But right now, that's just a six-week unit that that is. Uh, in the high school levels, but they don't have a, a physical facility or a physical event for them to culminate in at the end of that program, which, yes. uh, as you heard me offering, I'm hoping that she will decide that they're going to do that, and I would love to help develop that. So anyway, it was just a great, great week. And so since it's been a while since I talked to you, what what uh, has been happening in your life that has uh, just stuck out that you would like to share with folks? You know what? What has I we sh- I, well blah blah blah. I should start a sentence, or I should stop for just a moment. And think about it. <laughs> you can, you can I stop and think about it since I didn't pepper you with that. Ahead exactly. Of time. Um, you know, I think the thing that has been making a difference in my life recently is my feeling um, connected to my city. And as I was listening to your stuff today a little bit and I thought through over all of the different people you have interviewed, there were so many that were specifically from Tampa, right? Right. Either or the or that part of Florida. And that was so cool because you have established a network there now, you know, in your neighborhood and you know, it's it's 
it's a geographical network versus an industry network. And you and I have both had industry networks, global industry networks, for years. Yes. But we're both going through this process of establishing a local, non-industry, geographic uh-huh. network for where we live and Absolutely. where we, we lead our lives. And I'm doing that as well. And for the, I've been working out at the Y for ever since probably November. And yesterday, when I was there, someone came and tapped me while I was on the treadmill and said, Hi, Chris. It's the first time I've seen someone there that I knew. Wow. And I had met her the night before, or two nights before, something like that. Anyway, and she lives in the neighborhood and da-da-da. So it was like, it's working. I'm establishing a network as well. And I am just so excited about that. I just love it. Well, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that you would mention that, Chris, because for me, uh, you know, I'm going through the same thing as you, you have mentioned. And, and it really was a missing missing link in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never never saw it that way before. Uh, I remember wishing that I had local girlfriends, and, and uh, you know, I now have that in spades uh, from a number of different fronts in my life. But, well, it has just been fun uh, just having you back on. And uh, we've <laughs> only got... You. We've only got two more weeks uh, of the show, so uh, I'm hoping you can uh, find a little bit of time for me over the next two weeks. You can let me know uh, when. I I am uh, just finalizing the schedule for uh, the shows for next week, and we've got some great guests lined up. So uh, looking forward to sharing that with you and talking to you soon. Perfect. Okay. Thanks. All right, my dear. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. For more information about Solutions Live, please see www.solutionslive.blogspot.com. That's Solutions with a Z. I trust that today's show provided some information and some inspiration. Go out and begin to leave your legacy today. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.